Welcome again to the Strange Brew Podcast. My name's Jason Barnard, and that was Shaking All Over by Johnny Kidd and the Pirates, because I've got Clem Catini here, because there is a marvellous book out very, very shortly, Through the Eye of the Tornado. Welcome, Clem. Hello. Nice to speak to you. Thank you for asking me on. No, it's a, it's a pleasure. I said that the book basically takes us right from kind of... Uh, your period in the, the, the Two Eyes Coffee Bar right up until kind of today, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, actually, it takes it right from uh, when I was a, a little boy. Yeah. Well, when I was born and I uh, know my sort of life before I came into the business and my father being taken away and all that business. Yeah, it's a, it's a sort of um, a semi-history book as well because the theme of it is where uh, you know, when the uh, missile crisis was on, what I was doing at that time and what was happening with me when the missile crisis and, and when when the rocket went up and all that business, you know, it's it's a sort of bit of uh, life with me in the history, if you know what I mean. So the, the, the title of the book is very apt. Yes, it is actually, yeah. <laughs> Take us back to uh, sort of 1959, 1960. How did you get involved with uh, Johnny Kidd and the Pirates? Well, I've been working before that. I was with the Larry Pond shows. Mm. You know, I was, well, I, I'd... Uh, I'd been with Terry Dean. I don't know if you remember that. Oh, the singer. And then we left. I left Terry Dean and went with Larry Pond shows. And uh, I'd, I'd had enough for Larry. You know, the money was rubbish and I went to sleep on the coach and all that and I packed it in. And I went around to his office and I went in the pub in uh, in Old Compton Street and uh, somebody said to me, what are you doing? I said, well, I just told Larry what to do with his job. And they said, well, there's a guy in Wilson called Fred Heath. And the nutters who's looking for a drummer and that and bass player, mm. myself and Brian Gregg, we were in the pub. He said, you fancy your job? So he rang up and we went over and had an audition. And that was the, the formation of the Pirates, of uh, the Shaking World of the Pirates, the original Pirates. And I've heard that was your first recording with, with the group and that, well, that was number one. Yeah, my first recording ever. My <laughs> first recording ever. But I did. Yes, that was. And uh, that was it. You know, number one. Thank you very much. Yeah. But uh, well, I was very lucky, really, I suppose, you know. It just happened. And this is also, there was that done at uh, EMI, which was now called Abbey Road now, mm. which was, you know, just to let people know, there were 
there were records being made way at EMI and Blabby Road, whatever I call it, way before the Beatles. So, you know, they weren't the first ones to have any music coming out of the, out of the Abbey Road. So I like to say EMI because that's how I knew it. Mm-hmm. The drums on that are very, very distinctive. Thank you very much. Very nice. So it was a mistake. <laughs> the drum solo bit in the middle was a, was a mistake. I was supposed to do one bar fill-in to the, the guitar solo and I got into this this thing I was doing, I couldn't get out of it, ended up with two bars. And they said, apologise to the producer, who happened to be a guy called Peter Sullivan, who went on to produce all the Tom Jones stuff. He said, no, no, we'll keep it in. And that, mm. that was left to there for posterity. So, you know, sometimes out mistakes, you get you get better things happen, mm. you know. And then uh, just over uh, two years later, you hit number one again as as part of the Tornadoes. How did you get involved with Joe Meek and, and that, that production? Well, but when we, we were Johnny Kidd for for about a year or more, and then the work decided, started to deteriorate a bit, well, it go down a bit, and we had a guy called Colin Hicks, who was Tommy Steele's brother, asked us to go to America, to Italy with him as his backing group, because he was massive over there. He was really big. So we all went up and decided, I didn't want to go, to be honest, because my daughter had just been born, and I didn't want to go to Italy for three months. But anyway, it was one of those situations... Either we all go or nobody goes, so I ended up going. Came back from Italy because it was, that wasn't a great period of my life, I must admit, although being Italian, it was nice to be in Italy. Mm. Uh, came back and I got a phone call from Alan Caddy, the guitar player was with Johnny Kidd when I was with him. Uh, it wasn't Mickey Green, by the way, that was on the, on the thing. It was a guy called Joe Moretti. Uh. Anyway, I just clear that one up for a start. Yeah. And uh, Alan phoned me up and said he's got this, going to go have an audition with this guy in Holloway Road. Did I fancy going with him to uh, give him a bit of support? So I said, well, all right. And the Arsenal were away at that weekend. Hmm. So I went, we went down to Holloway Road and he uh, said to Joe, do you mind if my mate plays drums while I play the guitar? So he said, yeah, go ahead. We did that, a couple of numbers. At the end of the thing, Joe said, oh, said, yes, very good, very good, fine player, which Alan was. And he said, uh, does your mate want a job as well? And that was it. That was the, the start of the Tornadoes. And the demo that Joe Meek presented uh, you and the band was by no means the, the finished article. Oh, <laughs> oh you could, well, you could say that. I mean, in actual fact, he was just singing over some track that had nothing to do with his voice, nothing to do with the tune, anything. We had to sit down, I had to sit down and sort uh, decipher it all and put out the right chords and then we had to work on the arrangement I honestly don't think that we got enough credit as a band for what we the input that we had into the record you know it was all about Joe Meek which fair enough uh, not, nothing wrong in that because he was a, a brilliant sort of uh, uh, sound man but we never got to think for the mm-hmm. you know our input into the actual record because it was my idea to do a sort of galloping rhythm you know, it's a moving thing, and then we'll do a key change in the middle, a good key change in the middle to sort of like where it took off again, you know, to, to give it even more impetus and all that. And, uh, but we never really got, I don't think, the credit we should have got as a band for what input we had into it. But, you know, that doesn't matter now, does it? <laughs> Am I right that it was Joe Meek's poor choice of, you know, follow-ups and materials that kind of led to the, the band ultimately kind of... yeah. I agree. I mean, I always thought, I mean, uh, I always thought it should have been uh, Ride of the Wind, yeah. uh, which should have been the follow-up, which it was in America, because, I mean, the glow to I mean, I didn't like it, and I still don't like it to this mm. day. Well, I, in actual fact, I had a, Joe threw a stall at me, because I, he said, what do you think of glow trots? And I said, I didn't like it, and he got the ump hmm. and threw a stall at me, you know, so, you know, I've never liked glow trots. It was too much like Venus in blue jeans, for God's sake, you know. It was one of my favourite tracks, let's put it that way.
and then you kind of ended ultimately ended up kind of in the in the in session work. Yeah, I mean, it was I was lucky because I'd had enough. You know, we had so many changes in the band. You know, every five minutes, and then and Billy Fury got the ump because we were changing the, the members of the band all the time. And in the end, uh, I said to Joe, I can't handle this anymore. I said, I'm, I'm leaving. I sort of packed it in. I had no job to go to or anything. I went down Denmark Street. I used to hang around Denmark Street and I used to sit in a cafe and people come in and say, right, you know, I've got a demo to do. Could, are you, you play drums? Yeah. Could you come and do these demos for me? Which I did. And then that's how it all sort of, sort of started. Mm. And then I started getting phone calls from people saying, did you play on this demo and that demo? I said, yes. Yeah. So, well, could you come and do the master? I started getting uh, into the session scene. I couldn't read a note. I mean, at the time, I didn't know the difference between a crutchet and a hatchet. Uh, and that's how my session career started, for want of a better word. Yeah, and, and you, you've been on so many tracks. Um, I'd like to sort of pick a, a, a few of those out, and I think I think probably some of the more notable ones you remember, and then possibly there's a, there's a, there's a few that you may not recall, so if you don't recall them, just uh, obviously feel free to say. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think people can say to me, got to be very, very honest, I don't know. I haven't got a clue what I played on half the time. Yeah. We never knew. We never even knew what we were playing on half the time. Yeah. used to go in and it was a piece of paper put in front of you, which most of the time is I was looking at a blank because <laughs> I couldn't read it anyway. I mean, people even now are telling me that I'm bringing me up and said, you know, you played on my record. I said, no, I didn't, you know. <laughs> I mean, I've somebody told me, I don't know. I played on some uh, Rolling Stones tracks. Heart of Stone, apparently. Have I? <laughs> oh, right, okay. Well, thanks for letting me know. Anyway, that's another one I didn't realise. You know, <laughs> but there we go. I think there is one band that you will recall because I think you have done quite a bit of session work for them, and, and you, you were on them. I think you were on most of the Kinks Controversy album. Oh, I did the Kinks Controversy. I think about apart from two tracks, I did most of it. I remember doing it. Yeah, that one with now Shell Tell Me. Mm. Was the producer of that one? Yes, I did. Yeah. So you were deputising for Mick Avery on that one? Yes, yes, absolutely. And I also I did a couple of live gigs with the Kinks as well. Yeah, the big hit single from uh, that album, which I think you were on, was "Till the End of the Day," which is a great track. Oh yeah, right. Yes, that's right. Yeah, mm. I enjoyed it doing it. Actually, it was great. I mean, I I got uh, how much did I get? I got twenty seven pounds for that for doing that album. <laughs> you know, like princely sum of twenty seven pounds. Mind you, having said that, shaking all over, I got £5.15, shillings, so, you know, <laughs> didn't sort of break the bank, but there you go. Mm-hmm. Did you have much contact with uh, the Davis brothers? Cause yeah, I, cause yeah. I... yeah, I mean, Dave Davis was on the, on the session as well, I mean, uh, in between rowing with, with Ray, you know, and it was, we got on quite well, you know. It was a question that people don't understand. What the question was is not because they weren't competent to do what they could do. I mean, Mick Ray was a very, very fine player. It was just that we were being session we were a lot quicker you know we did in three mm. three sessions which was nine hours we did our whole album you know it used to take them three hours to do one track you know because so that's the only reason that we're more efficient at doing what we did that's all baby i feel good from the moment i
there's another group which I think you played a lot with, and that was the Ivy League. Oh yeah, I did. Yeah, tossing and turning and uh, yeah, all that. Yes, and also, of course, it was uh, let's go to San Francisco with the uh, oh flower pot man. Yeah, that, that was the same. Was the Ivy League? Yeah, yeah, under yeah. a different name. Yeah, and I played on that as well. So I played, yeah, I toured with the Ivy League. And it was through John and Ken in, in some ways that got me onto sessions as well because, you know, they were prolific songwriters. They used to do a lot of demos. And uh, so I, I used to end up playing on them, you know. big productions that you, you played on in, in the mid-60s, you know, with orchestras and that kind of thing. I think one of the one of the tracks that you're known for is uh, the, the Walker Brothers, The Sun Ain't Gonna Shine Anymore. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. So, so well, again, no, I, I suppose so. I mean, I was told I did. So, yeah, I suppose I did. I suppose I must have been, you know. I mean, I'm going to be honest. Mm. All these tracks that people tell me, that, that, that purported I played on, mm. people tell me, I don't remember. I, you know, a lot of them I don't remember, but most of the time it was... Um, most of the time, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know. Uh, I'm, most of the stuff that are down is I've been told that I played on. So, you know, it's not, I've never sort of delved into, delved into it personally. In terms of those bigger productions, were they just kind of instrumental tracks at the time and then the, the singer would, would... Yes, 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 exactly. That's the thing. You went in, you did the track, and then they, the singers came in afterwards, put their voice on and whatever. 90% of the time, you know, because it was a... And then to the union, I had a rule that the singer had to be in the box singing when you were playing it. Mm. But, you know, which was a ridiculous situation because with modern technology, you know, you had four, ten, you had six, eight tracks, 12 track uh, tape recorders. All they did, they could get, they get somebody out the street making out their singing. And, and so, I, and I said it was a stupid idea anyway, because they take them off and put the proper singer on, you know. And it was quicker for us as well, to be honest. i 
did a lot of work with uh you know jimmy page and john paul jones yeah jimmy and Joe, john paul jones well john paul jones and myself we were um we were in the lulu band together for a long time so you know we were a backing band when we used to tour with her mm. so yes i did and i did a lot of stuff uh, i did a lot of stuff with john on and um on sessions and that he used to use me when he like he did a lot of arrangements lulu he did a lot of the lulu stuff and that which he arranged, you know, and I did a lot of that stuff as well with John. Because one of the tracks that I think you've been more recently recognised as playing on is Hurdy Gurdy Man by Donovan. That's right, yes, I did, yeah. Mm. Yes, I mean, there was there was a stories going round that it was uh, Jimmy Page, uh, John Paul Jones and, and John, John Bonham, but it wasn't. It was John Paul Jones, myself, and a guy called Alan, Alan Parker on mm. guitar. But it took me about a year to prove that I was on it because John Paul Jones sent me a letter saying, "No, no, no, it was it was you on drums, you know." John Paul, that was that was before Zeppelin was even thought of. So I don't know where people get that idea their mm. thing from, you know. They just assumed that it was John, you know, that was the beginning of Led Zeppelin, but it wasn't. But your name was in the frame for kind of the Led Zeppelin, anyhow. Yeah, well, I, I worked with Jim. Obviously, I worked with Jim quite a lot. And when I was with Johnny Kid and the Pirates, uh, Jim was in the support band when we used to do gigs. So I knew Jim from a, from an early age when he was about fourteen, fifteen years old. You know, mm-hmm. he was good then, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Like a star in my vast if I opened my eyes to take a peek To find that I was by the sea, gazing with tranquility Just then when the hurdy gurdy man came singing songs of love Then when the hurdy gurdy man came singing songs of love History is of ages past, unenlightened shadows cast. Down through all eternity, the crying of human. 
singing songs of love Then when the hurdy-gurdy man comes singing songs of love Um, some material that, although although uh, there weren't hits, um, have been, kind of been more remembered due to kind of the status of the artist. And I've I've, I've read that you were on uh, Lou Reed's first debut album. Yes, I was. Yeah, yeah. One one with the crown of thorns on it. Yes, I was. Mm. Yeah, I did. I did the tracks on that as well. Mm, mm. That was quite interesting. Yeah, it was all right. It was interesting. An interesting day of recording. You've mentioned about recording the track The Ocean in the past. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, I remember him saying to me, hey, Clem, uh, you really got into that, man. You know, I could see you getting on. And I thought, no, all I was doing was singing. It was like late in the afternoon and I was getting tired and all I wanted to do was get, get it down and go home and have my dinner. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Here comes the 
you played for Paul McCartney under that um, that orchestral project. Oh, Purcell yeah. Swellington, yes, yes, I did. Yeah, that was quite interesting. It was never released. I, I think he just did it as a, I don't know, just as a sort of a, whatever he wanted to do. <laughs> you know, just, <laughs> yeah. You know, when you got that sort of money, you just do what you like, can't you? You know. As Paul's kind of a bit of a bit of a drummer himself, was he kind of directing you at all? No, not at all. No, 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 absolutely no, no, no. I mean, well, I knew Paul. I knew Paul from the old days because the things I knew him when I was with Billy Fury, ah. when uh, they used to come round and to see us because he wanted to do it. He wanted to see, he wanted to speak to, to Billy Fury and could you t- take me in to see Billy and all that, you know. So I knew him when they were the Silver Beatles. <laughs> I got, I got offered the job with Wings at one stage. Oh. Which I turned down, obviously, because, you know, I was doing, I was, I didn't want to go. I'd done enough, I'd done enough work on the road, you know, and I wanted to be at home for change. Mm-hmm. So, you I mean, in terms of the names that you worked with, I mean, the, the Bee Gees is, a, is another act that you've worked with a lot. Yeah, yeah, I did a lot with the Bee Gees. Yeah, I did a lot. I got very... Well, well I was with Lulu because she was married to Boris Skib and I got very friendly with Morris. We did broadcasts and some records and that. I used to use me on, on drums, you know, which was nice. Mm. And uh, I remember getting, getting a phone call at three o'clock in the morning from Morris saying she's left me, she left me because they split up, you know, and we were working at... They work at a club in South End. Mm. I think you might have played on some of the early material as well as the album To Whom It May Concern that's got that lovely track Run To Me on. Oh, that's right. Yes, that's right. Yes, I did. Yeah. Yes. Yes, I did play on that. That's right. That was one of the first albums I did with them. Mm. That's right. Right. Good. I'm glad you remember. <laughs> <laughs> Someone has hurt you and torn you apart Am I unwise to open up your eyes to love me And let it be like they said it would be Me loving you, girl, and you loving me Am I unwise to open up your eyes to love 
out in the cold No one beside you And no one to hold Am I unwise To open up your eyes To love me And when you've got nothing to lose Nothing to pay for In terms of bands that you were kind of a, a part of, there was uh, the the Wombles as well. Yeah, I enjoyed doing the Wombles stuff. But some of them, in fairness to Mike Bat, some of the music he wrote for it was great. I mean, I, I mean, one of my favourite tracks of the Wombles thing, the King called White Time Tales. It's sort of a big band thing. It was really good, really interesting to play. You know, he wrote some good stuff, Mike. In fairness, you know, mm. and I, I mean, I never appeared as a Womble. Only once did I do it on top of the pops. Mm. When I'd appeared in the Wombles costume, which is quite interesting. Mm. But apart from that, I just played on the tracks, you know. Mm. It was Chris Spedding, uh, you, you know, you had a great band. Yes, Chris Spedding was on it, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Les Hurdle on the bass, and oh, the, the bassman I used to call him, the conga player that he played with, Elton John. I forget his name now, but so he was on it as well. So there's quite a few sort of like faces on it, you know, people that are quite well known sort of musicians. No, it was good. It was good. I enjoyed it. It was good. He made some good stuff, Mike. In fairness, yeah. I mean that 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 song that you mentioned, um, White Time Tales. Um, it shows the the range of styles that, that that Mike brought to the group. Yes, exactly, exactly, exactly. I mean, the whole album is all different. Different. You know, you got the country, you got the the, the jazz, you got the the pop, you got the uh, sort of like orchestral. Oh yeah, he was very versatile in that respect. In fairness to him. Definitely.
Next is um, is is an artist that I think that you worked with more in your early days, and that's uh, Alvin Stardust, uh, Sh- or, or should we say Shane Fenton? Shane Fenton, yes, yeah, yeah. Shane it was the big hits, uh, Jealous, Jealous Mind. But I think you you two go went way back. Oh, I went, well, God, I went back with, with Shane, uh, if you like, or uh, yeah, um, Bernard Jury, his real name was. Ah. I went back because when I was with the Tornadoes. And uh, Jack, he was they were with the uh, used to tour with um, Shane Fenton and the Fentones, and it was through the Fentones that we recorded Telstar because we recorded the Breeze and I, but we found out that the Fentones are recorded and putting it out. And I told spoken up Joe Meek, and I told him, and he said, "Oh, I will come back to London because we were on summer season in Yarmouth." He said, "Well, I've got this this thing that I've written, you know, like called tribute to Telstar." Yeah. And we went back to London and recorded Telstar. So if, if the Shane Fenton hadn't, the Fentones hadn't recorded, the Breeze and I put that out instead of the Fertile Style. Mm. So just a bit of luck, really, whatever. <laughs> Those years later, he was back as, you know, in a different guise as Alvin Stardust. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was great. He was great. It was a great lad as well. Nice lad, real nice lad. <laughs>
another track in the mid seventies that that was a, a massive hit, and and I, I understand that you were on. If, if you remember, was uh, "Devil Woman" by uh, Cliff Richard, and again, oh, Cliff Richard, yeah, yeah, that was yes, I was, yeah, that was a not an accident, but Terry Britton and Christine Sparkle, who wrote the song, rang me up and said, "Could I, could I come and do a demo for them?" You know, which was a demo record. I did the demo, and then Bruce, which I, I knew anyway, I knew Bruce. Because he used to come to my house quite a bit, you know, when he was at the, mm. we went at Two Eyes, and uh, he, he rang me up and said, uh, "You did the demo for Devil Woman." I said, "Yes, you could come and do the master." So I went and did the master at EMI, and, and the rest is history. I'm surprised it never got to number one. Actually, hmm. it was a good record and good song, you know, done well. Terry Britton and uh, Christine Sparkle. said that you were on uh, so so you win again by hot chocolate and uh, if so is that that the, the mickey most connection there and you must have worked yes i didn't know but because i saw what's then the lead singer bless him who's, who's gone now uh, errol he actually told me the ones that i he told me what i played on and that was one of them and i remember doing that it was herbie flowers on that as well funny enough yeah uh, but again you know it's it's uh, remembering all this stuff that i did I mean, it was like, well, I was, you know, I've always stated so many times, all I was was a musical navvy. Hmm. You know, instead of digging holes, I made records. Hmm. 
Mm. You know. So by the, the late seventies and eighties, was it just the, the change in the the music scene and the introduction of kind of? Yeah, it all some things started to change, and you got all the all the what I call the mechanical music came in, didn't it? You know, mm. all them with the with the with the uh, drum machines and things, and it all got it all got sort of. I got I sort of lost interest towards the end of the eighties, and I wasn't, and uh, like unfortunately with any business, you know we. Uh, you're what they call flavor of the month and suddenly you're, you're not flavor of the month anymore people want other people you know and i started my work as a session man started to sort of go down so i reformed the tornadoes you know and then went back on the road for a while
looking back, you haven't been forgotten, <laughs> uh, <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> Even sort of fantastic artists like uh, Paul Weller oh, yes, have recognised yeah. you. You played on No yes. Tears to, to Cry. Uh, yes, I did. Yes, I did. Yeah. Yeah. That was, yeah, rang me up. I mean, I've got to be honest, I mean, uh, um, and naive of me, I mean, I didn't know who Paul Weller was at that time because mm. I was talking to a friend of mine and he said, what are you doing? I said, oh, I've got this guy rang me up. I said, called Paul Weller. Wants to do a track, and he fell on the floor and bowing. I said, "What's that all about?" He said, "Do you know what who it is?" I said, "No, I haven't got a clue." And he went, "Oh, he's he's the man, you know, he's the king." Mm. And I went, "Oh, I mean, which I wish he hadn't told me because it made me nervous, <laughs> you know." Anyway, I went down to his studio, did the track, and he was absolutely ace. He was really nice, nice fellow. Made me a cup of tea, gave me a donut, and uh, we recorded the tracks, you know. And he paid me a nice check. <laughs> so I was very pleased. But that track has got that 60s feel that I assume he was looking for, for you. That's what he was looking for, evidently. Yeah, he said, because he phoned me up and said, did you? And I said, yeah. And they said, oh, well, I'm good. So I'd like you to do this track for me, So which I did, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a very nice, it was a nice day, nice man. I found him very, very nice. I know there's stories about him that can be awkward, but he was very, very nice. I've got, I've got no no. Com- I can't say anything but nice things about it, you know. Thank you so much for your time, Clem. Um, that's right, and it's all in the book. <laughs> yes, I was about to say that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we, we've got a um, a book launch in Corby on the 29th of this of, of uh, March. So if anybody's about and they want to come to Corby, and uh, Waterstones in Corby, they're more than welcome. And then we're hopefully having another one mm. at the Art Centre in Chelsea uh, with a bit of luck. Brilliant. But no, well, thanks for having me on. Anyway, thanks for no. It's a it's a pleasure. So people, uh, people need to to get to clemcatinibook dot com and uh, yes. uh, pre order their copy. Yes. No, you're welcome. Thank you, Clem. Uh, much much appreciated. No problem at all. Take care and all the best with the book. Yeah, I hope it all works out for you. Anyway, it will. Cheers. Then. Thank you're you. Lovely. Then. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Strange Brew podcast. If you do like the show, please consider a small donation to help keep the show archive online. It's been almost 10 years since I started the podcast and hosting fees are increasing over time. All your support keeps the show running and helps me get amazing guests. 
To support me, just go to thestrangebrew.co.uk where you'll see a donate button on the homepage. Thank you very much. Plus, any reviews on your podcast services help to spread the word too. Thank you.